Now, your mama told me what happened to you yesterday. That was stupid. How the hell are you gonna get fired on your day off? I'm Garrett McQueen. <laughs> I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, the podcast that's so 10 to 15 years before its time. Is that right, Scott? That was the number that I quoted. <laughs> yeah, um, you um, have tuned in to hear um, what you're, you're expecting to hear, I suppose. So obviously we're going to get into the big news about yours truly today. Uh, shout out um, and, and a continued rest in peace and rest in power to John Witherspoon, um, who you heard in today's Downbeat. My conversation with my father, Scott, didn't exactly go like that, but it definitely began with, your mom told me what happened. <laughs> When you were, when you were, if you got into big trouble growing up, was it your mom or your dad who you did not want to know? <laughs> My dad. Oh yeah. So, but would your mom tell your dad? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was not sure. Ch- <laughs> just, like, just like Craig's. No, parents. there was once like the first night, the the first concert that I went to, I stayed overnight at a buddy's place, and evidently I wasn't clear about that with my mom. Mm-hmm. Mom is a wreck, bags, bags under her eyes, you know, hadn't slept all night wondering where I am. Oh, sure. Dad's course. over in the corner reading the newspaper, and he just goes, where you been? And I told him, and he said, you should talk to your mother. And that's when I caught it. I see. That's when I got in trouble. I see. Well, because you upset your mother. But anyway, oh, you a little tangent there. But mm. you know the movie Friday, of course, right? Of course. Yeah. And so. John Witherspoon is a, one of my favorite character actors. And He's we great. Actually, and I think we brought up John Witherspoon in a recently in an opus of Trilogy. I think it was the, uh, I can't remember the number, but I think it was the opus that featured Nibal Mesud. So, you know, if you want to uh, go oh, back and passed. check that out. Yep. Right. right. And and then, of course, John Witherspoon's brother, uh, if I remember, uh, was a pretty successful songwriter. So, you know, a, a connection to music. Right. Um, Anyway, so, um, yeah, before we get into the first movement here, listen, shout out to the people. I I am blown away by the response. I am embarrassingly humbled. Thank you to every single person that reached out, that wrote me a note, um, that made me a donation. You, You guys have made this time far less scary, far less stressful. I will never be able to tell you how grateful uh, I am. You know, I I said that I didn't want to mention too many names or any names, but I have to name Judd Greenstein. Scott, he really gave it up on Twitter. He did. Um, And of course, we've uh, showcased uh, his music and and, and talked about him um, on Triloquy. So huge shout out to uh, Judd Greenstein. Thank you so much. So uh, in the first movement today, of course, we're going to talk about, you know, I guess the big accidental again um, is is my news. Um, in the second movement, um, we're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to talk about uh, some of the music that got me through. Scott, obviously, I haven't been spending too much time with classical, so-called classical this week, so I don't have too much of that. But I've got one. But, but, but I, I think you have a pick. Um, today's guest in the third movement, who's taken a stand, is Abe Hunter, um, leader of the LEAD Society. You'll learn more about the LEAD Society, um, uh, what they do, and uh, a collaboration that I have uh, with them uh, coming up. And um, in the triloquy, you know, as usual, uh, Scott and I will offer our uh, true and real statements to the world. So... Let's go ahead and check these accidentals. So, you know, Scott, 
there was a lot that I wanted to actually talk about today. You know, since the last time uh, we recorded, it was the 19th anniversary of Mm 9-11. You know, there's actually a bit of, you know, um, orchestral and, you know, non-orchestral music uh, connected to to 9-11. You know, everyone says, you know, I remember where I was. We we probably had this conversation last year. I think you said you were on the air. I was on the air when it happened. But yeah, yeah, Omaha, KVNO in Omaha and the Associated Press printer was going nuts, you know, but I had already put my last piece on. I was packing up and I went over to the gym that didn't have a whole lot of televisions and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I exercised and when I came out, both were on the ground. Do you remember what piece that was? You had the last piece that you had put on? I think it was an, uh, I'm fairly certain it was uh, early Mozart symphony. Because Interesting. I, it, yeah, I would usually, I would usually try to end on a symphony that was about 10 or 12 minutes long just to give my replacement space to get in and get comfortable. And those early Mozart symphonies, you know, he wrote as a kid. Right. Of so, I, I, we're, we're not trying to be nerds today, but I just <laughs> I, yeah. I, thought, I thought that was, yeah, you know, thinking about this childhood music and this, you know, massive disaster, this track, you know, there, there's the, the juxtaposition of that is, is the, interesting. The next morning on the, on the air was hell. The next morning was, was terrible. Well, you know, Scott, I was uh, still a kiddo. I was in ninth grade in my geography class, passing passing from my uh, English class to my geography class. And quite honestly, me and, and my friends kind of didn't, I, I don't want to say we didn't take it seriously, but it kind of seemed like what was on TV, you know, and, and being there. Right. And, and, <clears throat> and actually, we're, we're kind of good. Well, we're going to get into something adjacent to that idea um, a little later uh, in this opus. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's something to think that was 19 years ago. And I was yeah. teaching as an adjunct in a video class, and a lot of uh, the students were turning in assignments that were associated with interviews, you know, man on the street sort of interviews there on campus. Really uh, interesting stuff. And most people did say something like that, that it was like watching a movie. It was like you know, watching Independence Day or something was that movie. Your 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 students were older than me. That's right. <laughs> yep. Well, um, yeah. I don't know how many times we're going to emphasize that I'm 50, <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, I'm 50. Well, uh, and and congratulations. A lot of I've, people have I've not made, made it to 50. Huh? I've made it this far without getting killed. Amen. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> um, and not to make light at all, but you know, um, you know, honor to those who were lost that day. There were so many lost. You no, know, I, no, wait. That day, but also keep in mind, there's about 1,500 people that have died since then due to being exposed to the toxins at Ground right. Zero. Right. So uh, I, I thought it was kind of a shabby move to see that there was uh, sort of behind-the-scenes maneuvering to end the funding for those people. Mm. The administration obviously read the room and then corrected it, but we need to make sure that anybody who is associated with that day gets the medical care and the ongoing medical care they need. You know, if this were a regular old opus of Triloquy where where wasn't, you know, other things happening, I, I would have some very trill statements, but you mm-hmm. know, maybe something something for you and I to look forward to uh, next year. So, okay. Um, you know, another thing, and we're not going to spend any time here at all, but Steve Reich, they tow him up since last time we I saw <laughs> recorded. That. Goodness gracious, I had no idea. You know, and I guess you never know the story behind 
these uh, pieces of music or these people until you really dig in. And then I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to lie. You know, there was a time where I kind of wore the cape for Steve Reich because I'm always the, the new music person. But, same, mm. same. And, and I tended to gravitate to him a little bit more than Philip Glass. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, I have drama. You have drama. Everybody has drama. But, you know, all of this is small potatoes, um, you know, when you said it beside what's going on on the West Coast. It's on fire, man. I, I heard a report today that said there are fires as uh, wide in diameter as Washington, D.C. to New York. I mean, that is that's and, and, and what can be done? What, what can what can really be done? They already have the prisoners out there. Right. Right. But the good news is that bill passed. If anybody is uh, following along, right. there was Thankfully. a bill. There was a bill. They need to be free anyway. Well, what I'm saying is the people, the people that were fighting the fires as prisoners were not able to do that as a job once they got out due to the record. Right. But now now, they've right. There has been right. There's been a bill that passed and they will be eligible to do that work once they're released. But now let's turn the focus on Colorado because they don't have it. And the fires are happening in Colorado as well. Fires. I had no idea. Twenty twenty is kicking our ass. What's tomorrow? What is tomorrow? Um, And then, uh, and also quickly, before we got into, um, you know, the main event, uh, I wanted to, oh, and we haven't been putting accidentals next to anything. Listen, if you're a new listener, you're going to have to go on the website and read the (laughs) description. Because by the the time we get behind the mics, we're going, look, uh, so uh, look, a a sharp to 9-11, because, you know, I I think we need to remember. And again, there are conversations around that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, to Steve Reich, a big flat to you. How dare you? Um, Concerning these fires, I'm going to put a a, a sharp there, you know, in, in hope. In solidarity, I had no idea uh, about Colorado, but you know, I'm looking. I'm man. I'm looking for any ray of light. Do you remember when 9/11 happened and we banded together? Yeah. Do you remember when we got together but then, as people? But as then just think humans? about how false that was. At the end of the day, this patriotism rooted in um, tr- recent tragedy that ignores so much. You know. So I understand that, but in the moment, I had of course I had a really. Uh, strong community of people that we all supported one another. We had different viewpoints and, and yet we still were supportive of one another and loving. And I'm looking for that. I'm looking so hard. We need, we need so much more that, you know, the, again, the last thing I wanted to mention before we got into, you know, my uh, termination for my job. So last week there was a little bit of a a disconnect uh, between uh, a clip I had gotten uh, from a town hall that I hosted for the uh, American Composers Forum. Um, There were just some, some missed um, emails. So um, shout out to uh, Vanessa and everyone at the American Composers Forum. Um, I'll be mentioning them here in a bit, but Scott, let's, let's just go ahead um, and jump in. So, An article about my termination from American Public Media hit everywhere. It it went further than I thought it did. Honestly, I did not think people would care. Again, uh, thank you to to everyone who's reached out and is is continuing to reach out. You know, it it really means everything um, in this time with everything going on. Um, You know, both of us, you know, we have prepared statements. Mm -hmm. We're going to read them. And then we're going to be done. But before we get uh, into that, I just wanted to shout out Marianne Combs. You know, as I talked to her, you know, after my termination, it felt like to me just um, not not like a corporate thing or a report or maybe not even an exit interview. It sounded like 
you know, she was filled with sorrow, but was assigned to cover this story. She did and, her job. And, and wanted to hear. She, she did her job. Hats off to her. You know, if I could go back to have that conversation, <laughs> maybe I would have worded certain things differently. But listen, my, my hat goes off to her. All of my respect goes for Marianne Combs for the very um, important work she's doing. Um, I wanted to name that before we uh, read our official statement. So mm-hmm. I have one um, and you have one. How about you go ahead? As I said in the triloquy of Last Opus, Garrett and I have kept our interactions with management largely private. I only know a few extra fragments of the story that wouldn't change the outcome. I can't talk about them. When Garrett was pulled from the air on August 25th, I called management a few days later to advocate for him. I was given the space to say my piece. I was heard in full, and I appreciate the opportunity. My advocacy was based on my limited knowledge of the situation. I want to address my quote that Marianne Combs used in her report for NPR News. Side note, some people were confused. NPR News is a unionized shop, and there is a firewall between them and management, which is why they can report on in-house stories like this one. Some people on social media were interpreting my quote as if it was coming from management. I am not a member of management. I did not have a hand in Garrett's termination. I was just as surprised as everyone else. I called Marianne to talk about an edit that would better indicate my position. We reread the segment together. She states that NPR management declined to comment. They have since issued a statement. She wrote that I am a colleague and a co-host on the Triloquy podcast. He also happens to be one of my best friends. We decided to leave it as it is. When I said that changes Garrett and Vision were 10 to 15 years off, that is not an untrue statement. Change happens slowly in this radio format. You don't have to look very hard. Go back through the playlists of most classical stations, and apart from some specialty shows and the like, the playlists are largely the same. I am not allowed to go into any specifics, and any inquiries made to me are to be redirected to our HR office. Right now, with the additional news that came out today regarding Marianne Combs and her resignation, which I have no idea what is going on there, I feel completely off balance. I am shell-shocked, and I am heartbroken, and just terribly, terribly sad. This is the worst situation I have experienced in my professional life, and the only worst pain that I can think of is when my mother died. I didn't really want to talk tonight. Garrett gave me the option to not record tonight. And so I'm, uh, I'm going to not talk for a bit. I'm turning off my microphone and I'm going to turn things over to Garrett. But before I do, I want to let you know that there is a donation link on Triloquy.org. All that money goes to Garrett. I want to play a piece from my show last Friday night where I shouted out Garrett that I was thinking about him. By Arvo Pert, this is Fratris. Brothers. 
In the late summer of 2016, I received an email that will forever change my life. The personnel manager of my then-employer, the Knoxville Symphony Orchestra, sent a note to all of the musicians asking if anyone might be interested in filling an open spot on the local public radio station, WUOT. Because my position as second bassoon didn't pay a full-time salary, I thought that this might be a fun way to earn some extra income, so I applied and got the job. What was meant to be something temporary became permanent after the staff at WUOT and listeners in Knoxville realized that I had a slightly different perspective on so-called classical music. My programming at WUOT did indeed include music from the traditional canon, but it didn't center the canon. Instead, my approach was to center the conversation, today's conversations. I'll never forget the positive feedback I got for presenting Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture in a time when the phrase Russian collusion was on everyone's lips. This is a work, after all, that comes with every Fourth of July celebration, but is Russian in composition. Sharon Sergei Lyapunov's Hashish Symphony on every April 20th became standard, and I was even able to explore the conversation of sex with, comp- with compositions like Richard Strauss's Dance of the Seven Veils or even music from Powder Her Face by Thomas Addis. What will become most impactful, though, was my focus on race and classical music. Names that were then still relatively new to me, including Florence Price and Margaret Bonds, were completely new to many of my listeners, and this relatively unexplored intersection of race and classical music became my focus. By giving interviews, producing specials, and continuing to share orchestral works by Afro-Americans of today and the past, my work as a content creator was pushed into the national spotlight, resulting in requests for me to speak on the subject with various organizations, opportunities to teach the next generation of up-and-coming black musicians, and an invitation to apply for a spot on the national airwaves. Fast forward to late May of 2018, my partner and I packed a U-Haul and came to Minnesota so that I could embark on this new professional adventure. It was a rough transition as having an overnight job is very difficult and very taxing on the human body and mind. This, coupled with what I saw as a very static playlist, proved to be challenging. Unlike my job at WUOT, my new position came with a stipulation. There are music programmers that decide what does and doesn't make it to the airwaves. I had conversation after conversation about this issue, and the resulting 24% of diverse programming wasn't enough for me. As the months rolled by, I made a discovery. If I swapped out compositions during my air shifts, the updates would automatically populate on the website in which playlists are published. This was enough for me to trust that rights, royalties, and praise would always go to and through the proper channels. After being caught the first time, I was urged to create song lists so that programmers had a better idea of what I wanted to present. This was fine at first, but I wanted more. I wanted to be able to use music to speak to the exact moment, the current conversation. I continued to make changes without notifying management or the programming team because I didn't see notifying them as an issue, especially considering that it automatically populated on the website. From my perspective, there was a, quote, sound that management wanted to maintain, and I wasn't okay with that. Additionally, the requirement to notify management and programmers of my changes felt like permission, and anyone who knows me personally knows that asking for permission is something I've always refused 
to do, especially when it comes to anything adjacent to black equity. Conversations about my against protocol actions continued and they came to a head on August 25th when I was taken off the air. On September 1st, my manager and a representative from HR issued to me two written warnings, one urging me to improve my means of digital communication and the other for not following programming guidelines, namely for not running it by the programming staff when I made changes that I felt would create a far more engaging experience for my national and global audience. These were my first written warnings and from my understanding, my first official warnings. Moving forward, I had planned on creating language that shifted the programming responsibility from me while on air. For example, announcing an hour of music as being, quote, curated by the programming team here at my organization. My opportunity to try this never came as my employment was terminated before I returned to air on September 10th. Being without a job in 2020 is scary, as millions of people have already experienced during this, what so many have described as an, quote, unprecedented time. If you're listening to this, I want you to know that I am before you without fear. The outpouring of emotional, professional, and financial support from you, the listener, grounds the confidence I have in myself and in a future where so-called classical music is as colorful, dynamic, diverse, and equitable as I tirelessly work for it to become every single day. Do I acknowledge that my actions were against the rules of the company I worked for and could potentially result in my termination? Yes. Do I acknowledge wrongdoing? Absolutely not. Anti-racism is at the very top of my list of core values and doing what I can in the field and profession that I landed in to promote equity and anti-racism is not only my will, but my duty and responsibility. I want to personally thank everyone who has been a support to me this past week and over the course of my career as a radio host. I'd like to thank Brian Newhouse, who made it his priority to facilitate Triloquy's independence before he retired from the company earlier this year. Huge thanks to all of the staff at the American Composers Forum who continue to be an important catalyst to my work, and a special thanks to you, Scott, for having the courage and the fortitude to remain by my side through thick and thin, even though I still think you don't answer my text messages in a timely manner. (laughs) Systemic change is not automatic, and it's not free. Doing what I thought was best as an agent of change in classical radio cost me my job, But what it didn't cost me was my integrity. My dedication to racial equity in and outside of the arts is absolute. There is nothing that I won't do to promote the blood, sweat, and tears of my people anywhere and everywhere I go. While I acknowledge the privileges that make this dedication possible, I also acknowledge the rough road ahead. How could I expect to have an easier time traversing the traditionally white-centered art form than those who came before me in this field? And more importantly, How could I expect it to perpetuate that status quo when given a platform? I hope that each and every one of you will consider these questions and apply them to yourselves as you listen to this short excerpt from Florence Price's single movement piano concerto. The pain you hear in this composition represents the sacrifice of so many people whose names we know and people whose names we will never know. But it also represents hope, a hope that I and people like me can continue to get into even more of this good trouble, as the late John Lewis once said. I hope that this so-called classical music will one day be something that looks and sounds like all of us. And I hope that someday rules 
power structures, and protocols will take a backseat to the spirit of disobedience, radical change, and a better world. All right, so um, that's that. We're moving forward. This is the second movement of this opus of Triloquy, and it's time for me to strike a chord by uh, talking about uh, some of the music that, uh, you know, I dealt with this week. But, Scott, uh, and none of mine is, you know, so-called classical, by the way. But, Scott, I think you, you said you did have a, a classical piece to bring. I did. Your, um, your, your microphone is still unplugged. If you're, if you're going to be an ally, I need you to know when to plug in your microphone. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, I was prepared to have it unplugged for the duration. I was ready to say my statement and then just give the stage, and, and you... I can't do this without you. You helped me to see that I should go on, and so I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not as uh, full of energy know, as, uh, as Garrett is today. But, it's just uh, that I've been getting some pretty good sleep. That's all it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so you were talking about, uh, but before we cut on the mics, um, you were talking about a piece of music by um, Svensson. Who's the? Lars Eric Larson. Uh, see, all of, all of my composers are just gone now. All, just after this much out of mm-hmm. time after the air. Lars Eric Larson, a Finnish composer, if I remember right. Yeah, and uh, it was in the 1930s when he was presented with this really uh, interesting proposition. Mm -hmm. He was offered a job by their uh, state broadcasting service. And he thought, wow, this is great. Um, I'll have a regular paycheck. I'll be able to uh, do this job. And also, you know, my music will get heard. And what job was that? Well, he was doing composing and conducting, you know, for, um, you know, your evening listening and for any sort of radio dramas or whatever, you know, he Mm. was, or, you know, jingles, I guess he was probably doing that too. But here's the problem. He got in there and brought some of his symphonic work and he was doing large scale stuff, big symphonies, you know, big ideas, like a lot of the the, uh, Nordic composers were doing at the Mm -hmm. time. Station wasn't interested in that. The, The radio station he was working for wasn't interested in his own music. No. And so he was writing what they wanted. Oh, so that's, that's what you mean about the jingles or, you right. know, whatever eyes. So he's, okay. he's, he's, he's doing, he's writing for things that they wanted. Mm-hmm. And he felt his creative spirit suffering. It was really crimping his larger ideas that he wanted to get out. So what he did was create something new. Well, it really wasn't something new. It was new to that that industry or whatever, he started creating what he called lyrical suites. Mm. And it was a way for him to gradually introduce his larger ideas. And one of them that he wrote, I had on the air uh, that night, and I, and I told the story very similarly as I did. Very, Except, very prescient. Well, I made it, <laughs> I, I made it fit inside the, the time allotted. Yep. And I think I made my point. Well, 
as I told you, I haven't really been spending too much time with any classical music. You know, I don't know if you've ever been let go from a job, but e- even with maybe a breakup or any sort of separation. I've been there, fired. There's the, oh, 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 wh- where were you fired from? A radio station? No, oh. no. Oh, yeah, I was. Oh. I was. <laughs> Hang on. No, I was thinking about back in my DJ days uh-huh. when video was just starting to be something that brides incorporated into their budgets was okay. having the, the whole thing videotaped right mm-hmm. and i was named the video manager it was a slip shot operation <laughs> and um uh, i was relieved from that uh position when they thought uh you know i was i wasn't booking more this none of this is important i was fired from that job <laughs> Okay. But, so, so I guess my and big, so go ahead. Go also, ahead. I was fired from a from a commercial station that I worked at part time because I didn't tell the right people that I wasn't going to be there, and uh, and I missed a shift, and so they that was fine. That was one of those deals where I was heard for five hours, but it took me an hour to record all the breaks. I see. And I was paid for an hour. I got you. I got you. Well, so I didn't care well, that was, they didn't want me to come back. Oh, so, so, so that's what you're saying. You're saying it was kind of blasé. You know, if, if I'm going to be completely transparent, you know, I definitely went through a moment of, of just anger. You know, just, you know, you go through all sorts of emotions. You know, it, it's like, wow, I did all of, of this and, you know, uh, exposing people to these composers and really dedicating, you know, sure. putting all this sweat equity into something that at the end of the day doesn't belong to me. It, it gives you this feeling of, uh, just wanting to take everything with you from here on out. And um, it reminded me of a song by, uh, as I told you earlier, my favorite male rapper, Drake, <laughs> uh, that, that he called Money in the Grave. And, you know, just to, to you know, I'll, I'll, I'll share this quick excerpt here. And, and it really just, you know, um, fully displays those, those feelings that, that I were feeling at first as I was pacing the floors down here in this studio. When I die, I put my money in a grave. I really gotta put a couple niggas in a place. Really just lapped every nigga in a race. I really might tap realest nigga on my face. Lil CC, let it slap with the bass. I used to save hoes with a mask in a cave. Now I'm like, nah, love, I'm good, go away. Ain't about to die with no money I done gave you. I was on but then, of course, I decided to calm down, to get away from the angry. Uh, the the more aggressive music and to uh, go into just some talk you know I, I'm we're podcasters I like to listen to podcasts so I was behind on um, all of my stories as I call them all of my podcasts so <laughs> that's what my mom called uh, herself <laughs> operas I'm gonna uh, go watch my stories so I cut on the uh, latest opus of you know jo- uh, Joe's pocket Joe Button that that I missed and you know he's going through his own you know contract break right now with Spotify that's all over the news if you care about that that sort of thing what a breakup and he um, starts you know with that Aretha uh, song Think that I that that I'm sure you know of course um, I was t- we were talking earlier when uh, you're so you're so emotional about something, angry, excited, all the way to the point of just wanting to scream, you know, that that getting that energy out, you know, can sometimes feel so good. And when Aretha, you know, sings those those words, freedom, the way she's just belting them out, I feel that energy. And it was enough to lift me out of that sort of angry and just a feeling of excitement and brightness of what could be, goodness gracious, freedom.
I'm sure that made it into one of your uh, wedding DJ sets here and there. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> the Bachelorettes love that track. Oh, so when it's time to throw the, wait, oh, the Bachelorettes. What, when are you talking about freedom at a wedding? I'm sorry, way? Bachelorettes, not Bachelorettes. <laughs> oh, oh, you've been doing the Bachelorette uh, parties. Oh, okay, so no, you haven't told me these stories. That's, <laughs> I meant like the, um, you know, the maid of honor and the bridesmaids. Oh, so the, oh, right, right, yeah, the, the bridesmaids. Yeah, is that so, outdated language, by the way, bridesmaids? I don't know. Probably. Let, let's not unpack that right now, but they, I mean, but I, they would I, love the song. Garrett, I'm limiting myself <laughs> to one a day. I know, I know, I'm joking. I'm one joking. revelation a day. But you're saying the bride, but you're saying the bridesmaids were really just. Oh, that was their, that, that was they, their bag. Right, you know, <laughs> and you know, when all the, when, when the groom throws the garter belt, Mm-hmm. No, the garter, not the garter belt. Oh, Sorry. No, I don't know what's up under that skirt. It would be different. <laughs> it would look different. <laughs> but, you know, I would tell people that if you catch the bouquet, yeah. you're the next to get married. If you're a guy and you catch the garter, it's not that you're next to get married. You just have something to do, put on your rearview mirror. <laughs> that's it. So, you know, that, that's fun. I miss weddings. Man, fuck COVID. I miss wedding I'm receptions. Saying. Let me correct myself. I miss wedding receptions, <laughs> especially the ones with the open bars. Those are the fun <laughs> ones. It's been a while. Wow. Um, so, of course, when, you know, when, when you're, you know, in, when I'm in the shower screaming the words freedom along with Aretha Franklin. I would love to be in your neighbor's apartment. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm, I moved to go into my, uh, into my library, into my phone, and see what other freedom themed pieces of music were in there. So I just typed the word freedom. I wonder if people, you know, listening will go into their libraries, their phones or whatever, and just type the word freedom and see what's there. Uh, one, of, uh, one of my, uh, well, one of the other ones that popped up was um, a piece by my favorite composer, my favorite rapper. I mean, you name it, my fave should be your fave, Beyonce. She has a, a tune called Freedom that she put out. I'm pretty sure it was her um, uh, uh, Lemonade album. Um, and it features uh, Kendrick Lamar, you know, just a sh- shout out everyone I should. And, you know, she has lyrics um, in there that are really powerful um, as well. You know, um, talking about breaking chains, but, you know, most loudly. I'm a cable running because the winner don't quit on themselves. I'm going to keep running because a winner don't quit on themselves. And, I, and, you know, the power of music, you know, that is what I need to hear right now. Isn't that a, a, a powerful thing to sort of affirm for yourself? I'm going to keep running because a winner don't quit on themselves. Naming yourself a winner, you don't even have to say it because it's already in the statement. What was the other one that you quoted? Who do you want to work with? Nobody. <laughs> who, who said that one? That was a, um, that, that, that's, a that, that's a song. Yes. Another song called Freedom. Very good, Scott, by um, uh, Nicki Minaj. Yeah. As, as you said. Who I want to work with? Nobody. So, yeah. Shout out to all of the freedom music. Let me know what your what your favorite uh, freedom uh, themed uh, song is. So uh, before um, uh, I got into the final uh, tune I was going to uh, mention, you know, sort of transition us into movement three. I wanted to um, introduce today's uh, third movement guest who's going to be taking a stand, um, Abe Hunter. Uh, he is um, the queen bee, I'll say, over at the LEAD Society. So L-I-E-D, yeah, right? L-I-E-D is like, you know, um, leader and, you mm-hmm. know, opera. And you know, so, so we'll get into that. Um, I wanted to um, bring Abe on today uh, just to introduce you guys to him 
him because um, a few weeks ago uh, we had decided to uh, collaborate in a concert that would um, include the premiere of uh, a piece of music that honors the late uh, George Floyd. Now, of course, with all of my drama, people are looking to him as, oh, so you got Garrett McQueen after all this and blah, blah, blah. We, we have this plan, so everybody calm down. It's fine. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, so um, I wanted to go ahead and bring him on, and um, that that's coming up uh, later next month uh, in October. Uh, those, all of that information will be posted on uh, Triloquy.org and in the description of this. But um, but uh, one one of the things we talk about um, is art song, and 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 I haven't actually thought about art song um, in a while. He's he, he's talking about um, songs, you know, so things that are sung. Um, or, or written, you know, in a song-like manner that um, include a, a soloist, usually a singer, and an instrumentalist, a pianist, um, a, a guitarist. And um, uh, Abe and I didn't get into it in the uh, in the conversation, but uh, thinking back on it, it reminded me of uh, something that I used to say on the radio all the time. Um, uh, Maestro Joshua LaBelle, a former uh, conductor at the Memphis Symphony, I attended one of his master classes, and he said, um, you know, music is the second most intimate thing you can do with another person. And when you think about, you know, when I think about anyway, you know, those times in my uh, performance days, playing those bassoon sonatas with someone who was as invested as I was, you know, you're creating this thing uh, together. It's, 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 it's a really beautiful moment. That happens in theater all the time, you know. And I'm sure even more get- intimately, well, uh, well, I guess more physically, intimately, potentially, right? Sure. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Alicia Magar because uh, she and I have been in dozens of plays together, and somehow, whenever we're cast together, our characters have to kiss. Oh, somehow. So, mm, okay. So, oh, and and, di- and didn't you own this theater company? So weren't you in charge of decisions? Own a theater company? No. <laughs> or found one. Sorry. I was a I was a founder of one. Yeah. I'm just joking. But, I know you didn't make it to where you were always kissing up on Alicia. She's like my si- that would be like that would be like dating my sister though. <laughs> but but what is that like like being intimate like that you know with, I mean it, it's an act. I'm not an actor, so it's a, I'm sure it's normal for you. But maybe those first few times kissing on somebody in in that capacity is it's very know, awkward. Yeah. Right. Have but, you have you have you ever kissed a boy on stage? Yep. Oh, so how was that, huh? Well, uh, shout out to my friend John. <laughs> uh, um, Scott Kiss John. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the first shows that I did in in college had me had uh, me and John Hatcher shared an intimate moment and on stage. Ha- and 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 what was your prep? What what did you do to prepare? Uh, I got into my character, and I realized that the character that that these two characters had feelings for one another. Hmm. And like when I was talking when I was talking about Chadwick Boseman, right. how he does his research. You said from the outside in and inside out. And inside yeah. out. And if you're if you're doing it well, people will go with you. People yeah. people will follow the story and they'll in you know they'll 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 be there for you. But uh, I keep thinking about the play that the um, not the play, but the one act scene that I wrote for one of our Halloween shows at the Shelter Belt was called Hypnotized. Mm-hmm. And it was all about a couple in bed just after lovemaking that was in the stage direction. Um, and she talks about how she wants to open up a place where she can do aromatherapy and massage and hypnotherapy and all that. And he thinks, oh, this is nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, and she puts him under. She puts him under. Right. She puts him under hypnosis. And keep in mind that they've been almost whispering to one another. 
-hmm. They're half clothed, and the only light in the theater is coming from the candles from the stage and the ones that are sitting on the tables. So it's almost like you are in the room listening to these two have pillow talk. And, you know, looking in, you know, as as intimate as creating those moments are artistically, you know, on the on the theater stage, music, you know, chamber music, all that, you know, that is one thing. But being able to, um, how can I say, like reverberate that intimacy out into an audience or or make them feel like Mm -hmm. they're looking in, maybe even, you know, like it's just them, you know, not everybody can do it, you know, kind of like on the music front. People can play the notes, but they don't necessarily put, you know, whatever it. They might not have whatever extra actually causes people to lean in. Right, right. So that so that's the way I'm selling art song because intimacy in mm. music and beyond is is uh, incredible. So as we uh, transition into movement three here, I thought I would, uh, you know, we've already been talking about my favorite uh, uh, composer Beyonce. If you're a new listener to Triloquy, you're going to hear me talk about Beyonce, and that's just that. So just, just I'm, co- I'm so probably going to bring that. up Steely Dan. <laughs> right. Yeah, that as well. Yeah. Um, so th- there's actually a really beautiful song. I thought about um, that exhibits the intimacy of, you know, piano and voice. There is a little, you know, uh, production in this one, but uh, it's a tune uh, that Beyonce did. It features Drake later on in the tune, not in the beginning here. Um, It's called Mine, a really, really wonderful tune, you know. And beyond uh, this being a great example of the intimacy uh, between the solo voice and a solo instrument, you know, just, you know, again, uh, the same way I think about that word freedom right now, I'm also thinking about mine, just what, what do I want this world to be and it being my responsibility you know it's all up to me it's mine so anyway here's a here's a bit of that uh, as we get into my conversation with Abe Hunter Uh, I've been watching for the signs took a trip to clear my mind now I'm even more lost and you're still so fine oh my oh well, who would have thought that um, we that classical music would be a way we talk about race and um, in a broader context in the in the 21st century? I mean, because classical music was dead, right? So, Allegedly. so here it is. Here it is, um, yeah. making changes for everyone. And um, <clears throat> I don't think anyone ever would anticipate that. And uh, so, yeah, social media firestorms around classical music. I don't I don't think a lot of us saw that coming, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, here, here we are. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we can talk about, you know, classical music, so-called classical music. But opera, you know, seems like it is an even more elevated sort of art form, at, at least to the, the, the person on the street. Is that something you've uh, experienced living in that opera world? <clears throat> Certainly, you know, opera definitely has a very Mm hoity-toity connotation and there are certainly um that's not to say there aren't a lot of companies out there or folks out there that are not that are trying to break down those barriers and 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 change the how we think about opera but unfortunately over time you know we've arrived there so it's really hard to to turn back that or to change people's minds um so so here we are we're faced with an even more hoity-toity art form, <laughs> and right. and one now that in, in COVID is is, is nearly right. impossible to uh, to um, participate in, or perform as part of, or to participate in as an audience member. 
unless it's completely virtual. Um, so, you know, so I think about opera <clears throat> and how we can still think about the human voice and because the human voice is so good for so many things, including healing. Um, and that's why <clears throat> art song has been my, my genre of choice is, is how to, to still have that, um, that genre that can tell a story in a very powerful way through the human voice, but only has one person and a pianist as opposed to sets <clears throat> and, um, many performers and baggage, mm -hmm. you know, um, overhead, all that sort of stuff that comes along with opera, the, the sort of the dark, not fun side of, of thinking about opera. Yeah. Um, but before we uh, get too far ahead, I, I want you to uh, speak to that phrase art song. I, is that a replacement phrase for something? What, 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 what is art song? How would you define that? Art song. <clears throat> so, so the German, um, word lead is, is, uh, German for song, and in a, in a vernacular sense, it's it's a term for for the genre of of, uh, <clears throat> and I'm sorry, folks, I'm not a Groves Dictionary of Music, so I'm just I'm just talking <laughs> on on a basic sense here. It's it's music that was written for voice and an, an accompanying instrument. So art song is is simply a a song mm -hmm. for voice and and piano or guitar or whatever it may be. Um, I don't know why it's called. I mean, art song's another kind of hoity-toity um, term. <laughs> I, I think that's what I was kind of getting to. <laughs> and and so so I chose an even more hoity-toity one, the lead society. <laughs> um, except you know when I'm wearing my branded T-shirt around town, uh, people are like, "What's the lead society?" And, and it's my it's my opportunity to to teach them. And then they go, "Oh, I didn't know anything about art song." And I, that's great. I love it. So when it comes to art song, uh, are you on the uh, singing side of the piano or on the black and white side? It depends on how many martinis I've had. Oh, okay. Here um, we go. Well, what time but, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little early for that yet. Uh, but I, uh, no, I'm a pianist by, by vocation and training. Um, I, I really don't play much anymore. I, I, I have a day job and, and that's how I get to, to bring in all these great artists and uh, and such. So I, I'm a pianist and I love working with singers. I always have. How, uh, I, I want to kind of, you know, I transitioned from, you know, the performance side to, you know, other things as have many, you know, folks I've talked to on this podcast. I wonder if you can um, speak to that transition, you know, in, in the role you have away from the uh, piano now, are there musical things, things that you uh, picked up from your training that really play key roles in running a, a business, running an organization, especially during COVID? Certainly. Um, you know, I, I haven't, play really professionally or, or practice to the point of, of playing professionally since 2013. However, the, the, the skills and the things that you, you may, you need as to operate as at that level of, of functioning, as you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> translate into many, many different areas. And so by day I, I work, I work at a high profile law firm. Um, that's another real hoity toity thing I do. Um, I hope I don't but, have to call you for that. <laughs> <laughs> we're here. I work with one of the best entertainment law attorneys. Um, so, but, you know, people ask all, all the time. They, they, they think, oh my gosh, they're like legal. You know, you're this 
what is it? Right brain is creative. I don't sure. even know. Yeah, I don't remember. But whatever I think right they brain say, is the more analytical. Um, and they're like, and you work there. Like, how does that work? And I and it's because I can think of sort of the box. Mm, here we go. And and it's because um, you know I'll never forget during my interview at that big big firm. They were like, so this music background, because my my um, actual like, like work experience is is nothing. It's t- minuscule. They're mm-hmm. like, so what? So what makes you think? And they said, because I've worked with actual divas. <laughs> you know, you, uh, being literal, honest, like in the literal <laughs> sense. Exactly. And, and figurative. And so, so you know, these attorneys, um, you know, many of them are great. Don't get me wrong. But you need to be able to, to um, be part therapist, be part um, cheerleader, be mm-hmm. part... Um, uh, handler be part just somebody there yeah. you know sometimes they just you know it's and it, that's what it always attracted me to to the collaborative um part yeah. of of musicianship was that that we can i'm just not locked in a practice room working you know right. it's, you're sharing energy you're sharing ideas yeah it's dynamic exactly yeah, yeah. You know, you, you talk about uh, thinking outside of the box, you know, which which I love to do uh, musically when we talk about different things. But um, when I think about the most traditional um, corners of classical music and what I really do appreciate, Mozart opera is in there. That's something that's very much in the box that, you know, I will always appreciate. I, I, but before we get uh, into our collaboration and, you know, the new work uh, that the Lee Society uh, will be presenting, I wonder if there are some um, inside of the box operas that you really just don't ever want to see thrown away um oh my gosh i mean there's an enormous amount of work out there mm-hmm. obviously and and i i am no expert i i wish i could tell you every verity title i i can't but i know <laughs> me, I me know neither it. and i have a degree <laughs> <laughs> um but certainly one that that really speaks highly. I mean, you bring up Mozart. Um, uh, the Marriage of Figaro, of course, is yeah. is one of those that um, certainly all the bassoonists. gotta love those those excerpts right (laughs) right (laughs) um you know that that was that was not a safe subject matter in 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 the um, that time in Mm -hmm. the 18th century i mean based on a a beaumarchais play which which gave was which foreshadowed the french revolution my god right right, right. um you know (laughs) if social media had been around back then Exactly, <laughs> there would have been a huge firestorm. So, so that, so that is is was a groundbreaking work, and that's something that that I love to this day, um, and still listen to. I still listen to it. You know, if it's on, if I see it on or it's on the radio, I listen to it. It 
it's so interesting that you bring up the the non-safeness you know th that's actually a, a phrase i was going to use later in our conversation you know the the opera house as this safe space i wonder with you know you, you already you've already acknowledged that there are all of these works out there you know more than we can even name where is the responsibility for um, new music in there and uh, and beyond that music that really speaks to something that uh, many people see as controversial? Well, I think that opera was, was never, or, or the opera house was never a, a space where, where um, non-PC subjects were... <laughs> sure. ...were somehow it was just like this you know, it wasn't this um cleanly right you this know sterile space sterile space i mean yeah. butterfly you got a white guy come into town impregnates her leaves comes back takes the kid and she kills herself yeah that's pretty... i mean that's not i mean <laughs> As, yeah, especially it, dude we can and we can talk about the mozart and Marche. we can talk about Peter Grimes, yeah, yeah, Carmen, and, and, uh, Vochik, uh, Vochik, and, yeah, you know. So, so I don't. So to 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 say that uh, the opera house or or that or how to write a safe sub. I don't think operas have safe art form. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Yeah. Um, so so I think it's. I think now is the time. There's so much inspiration. I mean, look at at. Um, uh, the 2020 Pulitzer Prize winner Anthony Davis were for writing, winning the prize for 20, uh, Central Park Five. I mean, mm -hmm. that was not a safe subject to write an opera on. Yet here it is, and he won for it. And and I'm sure, I hope that opera houses around the world be performing that at some point. Yeah, I want to talk about the, um, the this George Floyd uh, tribute, but you know, you're actually so I'm over here in St. Paul. You're in Minneapolis. This you, is for for our viewers that are listeners that don't know. This is the the nicer. This is the this is where everyone wants to be. Not oh, not ev everyone knows the truth. It's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but but you were actually um, and still are uh, closer to to uh, to some of the action. Uh, something that I've learned, you know, uh, being around the being in the Twin Cities during the uh, George Floyd um, uprisings, uh, you know, being on the ground and then seeing, you know, the narratives on the news, it it really opened my eyes to the difference, you know, but between being there and and um, and just reading reading a headline, I, I wonder if, if if that's something that you you thought about in light of all this, considering your proximity. Yes, um, it was an enormous. Um impetus for for ensuring that this project may move forward mm. um and you know the the days uh, following the murder of george floyd um i mean weeks really uh and being so close to to things relatively speaking uh you know it the helicopters the the noise the curfew the um the uncertainty the boards i was really you know that's something that you can never see in a headline just seeing block after block after block your favorite stores you know just boards everything over, yeah and, and and furthermore the 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 um you know those were businesses that i i went to and i frequented exactly. and i supported you know and and to you know go go downtown where my office is and and see it's you know, there's tumbleweeds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. And everything is, is, you know, these plate glass rows, just that, you know, something that you, you'll never see. Um, 
except for very few circumstances. And yeah, it was moving. It was, it was that this, gosh, I don't even know what to say. It was so, it was just so emotional. I was so emotional during that time that I, and I had just appeared on, um, or seen rather, an episode of my friend Karen Slack's show, Kiki Conversations, okay. in which she had the composer um, Anthony Davis on, who had just won the Pulitzer. And and I called her afterwards, and I said, what, you know, and, uh, helicopters overhead. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God, he's amazing. And why, why isn't, is his phone ringing off the hook? <laughs> and she said, no, nobody's called, nobody's, not a single major opera company, not a single small opera company. No, nothing, there's no work. And I said, I'm going to change that. And I, I said, give me his number. And I called Mr. Davis, and we had a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And um, that's how a commission was born. Wow, wow, that's incredible. And and full disclosure, um, you and I had actually um, planned to collaborate on this uh, with me as the host uh, weeks ago. Uh, so I, yes. I just want to make sure I acknowledge that. You know, I know you've been getting messages. And yes, mail. it's like, okay, don't worry. I, I mean, I, I like a good, you know, I can recognize opportunity, but I'm not an opportunist. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, you know, Garrett and I had, had talked about this weeks ago, and um, we're so happy to have you on board for this. So uh, what, what are uh, what are folks to expect? You know, we, we, we know that COVID has happened, and so uh, we're not packing a, an opera house, but uh, what, what, what is it going to be? So this is made possible by way of a grant from the Knight Foundation. Um, to use the Ordway Concert Hall, which is an amazing space in St. Paul, to hold this concert. And because, so this planning for this began back in June, basically, immediately following the murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't know at the time whether we could have an audience or what things were going to look like in September. The hope was always to be able to have at least some live component to, or live human bodies (laughs) in the audience to to enjoy this performance. So the way it's taken shape now is that we we cannot have a live audience present. Uh, My mom and dad will be there. Okay. Um, So so they'll be there, Uh, but as it stands, we it, this will be a live audio-only broadcast. Audio-only broadcast. Audio-only, hosted by Garrett McQueen, who we had pre-planned this before anything happened, folks. <laughs> now, uh, you know, right off the bat, I know uh, people are thinking, well, you know, opera is uh, in Italian or, or, or French. How are we going to understand an opera-only uh, performance? Is, is this going to be an, uh, an, an Italian uh, opera? Or, or will no. people be able to understand? <laughs> this, this is the best part about it, is that the, the program um, is varied. There's, there's not only some, you know, a couple opera arias, which um, will are part of a bigger scheme. There'll be some art song. Lot, much of it sung in English for folks. Much of it actually written in the 20th century. Um, that's modern. And then this fantastic world premiere by Anthony Davis, which is also in English. And that's for all four singers, all four of these fantastic singers that are coming to town. 
So, and also there's context that'll be given by, by either um, your host, Garrett McQueen, or, or me, who'll be on stage, or even the artists may talk about their work. So, so folks that are listening at home <clears throat> um, will be able to understand things in context and not just, here, here's an aria. Right, Good luck. Right, right. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if, um, you know, if, if you can uh, give any insights on the, the general message. Is, is this a concert of hope? Is this a concert of struggle? Is this a concert of, of, uh, of urgency? What, what are some of the feelings that, uh, that, that, that you want to get across? This is a concert of all of the above. <laughs> Um, you know, it was a concert of urgency <clears throat> in June. It was a concert of urgency in July mm-hmm. and in August. And here we are. We've had to push it back to October. And guess what? People are still dying. Uh, people, black people are still being murdered. So, so the, this this is happening. This this the the commission the the piece called we we call the role is just as needed in June as it is in in uh, October and who knows how longer much longer right 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 we're uh, we're, we're coming back where we're talking about ways a lot of uh, professional ensembles are uh, talking about coming back from COVID you know going back into the concert hall with with certain you know uh, 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 modifications, uh, accommodations, uh, beyond uh, physical um, restraints, you know, and and being careful, you know, coming back from COVID, what do you think is going to take? Let's imagine that two years from now, everyone's been vaccinated, and we're crowding concert halls again. How do we get um, these uh, lesser known composers, living composers and and artists into these spaces to get their uh, works uh, performed as as you know as brilliantly and as expensively as opera. I think that's a real interesting question, and one has to consider who will be here in two years. Who's going to be left? Who's going to survive COVID? I guess one could say, hopefully, we all survive it. But right. I mean, or arts organizations, right? You ha- one has to consider. Um, you know, some, an, an organization like the Metropolitan Opera who can burn through a million dollars a day, mm-hmm. can they sustain for, I mean, what's, what, we have to think of, I don't, I think that's a very difficult question to answer without, without thinking about the survival rate of these institutions. I think that's a good point. You know, maybe that speaks to, um, you know, we, we, we began talking about art songs, speaking to these more intimate, uh, the, these more individually uh, collaborative uh, projects are not only safer, but more uh, viable. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons, again, why I, I've turned to that. And I think we'll see much more of it. This is, this is if art song needed a revival, frankly. And, mm-hmm. and, and COVID is, is, it's the perfect storm of, of unfortunate circumstances, but here we are. We can't gather in big concert halls in two years. We can consider that, but will these large organizations still be there? And what will they look like? Are they going to be, they're going to need to be able to sell tickets to something. Is, well, in two years, will, are people going to rush to see Anthony Davis? I don't know. 
hopefully, I want that to happen. Or will you know, they be rushing to see La Boheme? I think that's also a fair question. I, I, I think so too. Absolutely. So, so to your your question is difficult to answer without knowing what two years from now, if if everything is the same, if if um. But I just don't see it being that way. I really think we're going to see an enormous loss of arts organizations that were unable to be nimble enough in their administrations to weather the storm. So what is your advice to these, you know, larger organizations as far as survivals, the big orchestras that, you know, the, the mid-sized orchestras. I've been talking for a couple of weeks about my former orchestra is, you know, in a rough time. What, what, what are your words, you know, the opera companies, what, what are your words to these big performance institutions uh, as far as, you know, survival? In my, my, in, in, I'm, I'm no, I don't have possess a degree in arts administration. Everything I do is, is completely instinctual. Um, uh, <laughs> You are a but musician, it, huh? It, it would, <laughs> I follow my heart. Um, the change would be, there would be have to be huge financial changes from the top down, not the musicians, mm-hmm. from, in administration. There would have to be some, some bat cutting. Because you're not, if, you, if you can't make a decision and make a change without days of emails, you're not nimble. You have to be able to react. And unless you've reached that, you know, and if you need to reach that, call me and I'll help you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I, I, want to switch gears uh, before we close up to talk a little bit uh, about your show. But uh, before we do that, uh, where can people find more information about uh, this uh, this upcoming uh, broadcast? Of course. Um, you can go to leadsociety.org. That's L-I-E-D, spelled like lie, dot org. And there's lots of information there. Um, this will be broadcast via audio stream on our website. And, and then will be made into a, a concert film documentary to be rela- released late, later in the year, um, which, which is also going to be a game changer for how we see music um, on the big screen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and I hope uh, everyone tunes in. But, you know, something else that I want people to uh, have on their radars is your show. I had the pleasure of uh, being on, what was it, last Saturday or, or, yeah. or two Saturdays ago. Uh, <clears throat> what, what's your For folks who don't know, what's your show called, and, uh, and, and what is it? So I host... Um, and this and this show came was a direct result of of COVID that we all of a sudden our wonderful season had to be postponed. So we started a podcast um, called the Lead Society Roundtable, in which we discuss art song and a lot of other things, and a lot of times never even talk about art song <laughs> yeah. in the modern mu- musical landscape. And um, we have guests ranging from from the emergent artist, composer, singer, you name it, to the legends um, and everyone in between and arts administrators and um, personalities such as Garrett. And uh, we have fun and we, we can we can get serious. We get silly um, and it's really informative. And we talk, we promote people, we, we lift up people. That's what that, our show is all about. 
What have you uh, learned along the way? I mean, and not maybe just, you know, philosophically, but uh, did you always know how to plug in a microphone and how to <laughs> how to edit audio? <laughs> Garrett, I still don't know how to do that. Are you kidding me? Every, me every week's like Groundhog Day. I'm like, where does this cord go? <laughs> what? Why isn't that showing up? You know, the, 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 it's remarkable. I don't think any of us, we, we never paid attention enough to like all those people, AV people who like were showing you how to do things. You're like, yeah, over, yeah, like, we were just rolling our eyes <laughs> and, 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 fix, and fixing our costumes. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know the, the the energy that you brought uh, uh, on the show when when I was on was was uh, was so much fun. Um, I definitely encourage folks to um, to listen out for that. Um, but but before I let you go, um, I I, I want to know: Can I use your uh, your brilliant theme music as the uh, the outro? to this section of Triloquy for today? Oh my God, I would be honored. I'd be upset if you didn't. I just want to um, say that um, that it doesn't matter where you come from. I, I'm just from, you know, a small, I'm just a Native American kid from Northern Minnesota who's making changes. And, and I came to this, my place in, in the realm of classical music via very strange and circuitous route. So don't be afraid of, of doing things in, in a non-traditional fashion because I, I, oftentimes that's the most interesting way. Once again, um, huge thanks to Abe Hunter. I'm looking forward to um, emceeing uh, that audio-only show and, and doing some many other um, uh, collaborations. I hope you'll also check out uh, the Lead Society Roundtable uh, podcast. You know, really, really fun, lighthearted thing if you're interested in opera and art song and all that um, sort of thing. But, um, you know, we, Scott, we're, we're, we're almost there, I thought. Excuse me. I thought this was going to be a, a shorter one. We would just be in and out, but here we are, gabbing again. But yeah. Anyway, I'd like to talk to you. Yeah. Likewise. Oh, that's nice. Well, let's go ahead and get into this triloquy. <laughs> Scott, I just again, I want to you know give it up to you. So there's been a lot of energy and intention um, my way, but you know. Right now, I, I know there are a lot of people, you know, a, new, a lot of new people listening. So, you know, in front of this, you know, larger audience, if only for this week, I just want to name that, you know, everything I'm doing, um, I, I can't do by myself. And while I'm the face of most of it, I'm the brains of a lot of it, if I just may say, you know, putting together yeah, these true. guests and, mm -hmm. um, and, and producing what the conversations are going to look like, you know, I, I, I couldn't do it without you. As, as I texted, um, Robin Hood needs his Wolverine. So I, look at the way I, my beard's coming out. I might be able to get some mu decent mutton mus chops, mutton chops, and <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. probably do a halfway decent Wolverine. I don't have a triloquy. I my you know last week I tried to put a positive vibe yeah. on the triloquy, and I'll and I'll do that here too. Uh, I was really surprised at the number of people who have been reaching out to me well, over this. You deserve the love too, and so. I just have to say that I too am, am really appreciative of the nice words, the support, the phone calls and texts and emails and all that. Um, I 
do not feel okay. And I am hobbled with anxiety over <laughs> what is coming tomorrow. As we record this, so just, you know, let's pull back the curtain. Right now it's Monday about uh, 15 minutes to 10 p.m. You know, I, I uh, usually take Tuesdays to uh, let Evan mix it all together. Um, you put in what you need to put in and me give it that final listen. It comes out on Wednesdays. So just so people know, full transparency, we're talking right now in Monday. If something crazy has happened um, as you're listening today or as you're listening yesterday, you know, um, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. It's kind of it's kind of weird speaking in the future like this, huh? <laughs> well, you are ten to fifteen years into the future. <laughs> very good, very good, Scott. Bravo. <laughs> um, so, so l- let me just say, look, when the George Floyd stuff went down, his murder, the riots that came after the uprisings, all of that, it was a different experience for me because it's one thing to see things on the news that are happening in some city that are away. When you're in it, when you're seeing street after street boarded up, when you're that seeing- you know. But that you know, like your neighborhood, you know, what was creepy to me, especially on the on the nights that I had off, it after a curfew, it being completely still, I mean, there's no public transit. It's like if you were out on the street, it seems like you would be shot on sight. I mean, it just I seems scary. You know, it, it seems I am legend. You do it out here, Frank. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, I'm 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 naming that right now to to frame the point I'm trying to make. So there's a difference between being in it and seeing it and commenting on it from the side. Most of the articles and and writings and, and all of that stuff I've seen, most of the tweets, again, all of the most the mass majority of the feedback has been great and positive and um, and really sensitive. But there's always that sliver of people who I've, you know, never met, who you've never met, that feel like they know me or my or my work enough to uh, call up some grand um, uh, uh, think piece or, or whatever on this situation that they have nothing to do about. I went back and forth. So there was one blog in particular that really pissed me off. And I went back and forth on whether or not to name him. I've decided not to name him because I'm not going to send those clicks his way. I don't think he deserves them. I'm just going to call him Keith. He decided that he was going to write this blog about how he applied for this national job, um, knew he had it in the bag, you know, all this experience. He gets the call saying that he didn't get the job, and it turns out some bassoonist from Tennessee got it. He gets on the radio. He sounds nervous, overproduced, like he's reading from a script. You know, it's just taking the time to drag me in this roundabout way of trying to straddle the fence, it seemed, you know, he ended this piece by saying, is Garrett an important voice? Yes. Should people follow rules? Yes. You know, and, and, and I'm not going to get into the thing about this fence straddling that too many people are doing. I think, you know, more people need to take the, the step to really do what they can to, you know, shake things up and, 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 uh, inspire change in their own way. But, you know, um, to Keith, (laughs) I just want to say, I hope you apply for the job I used to have because good for you, thankfully for you, I'm no longer in the way.